Good morning, First Baptist Church family and those who perhaps are visiting us for the first time via our live stream. We're glad that you've joined us for our worship this morning on what proves to be a very unique Sunday morning in the life of our church. As many of you will be aware at this point, life in the United States has changed dramatically over the course of the past week. On Thursday morning, we awakened to news that President Trump had banned all travel from Europe and even the NBA had suspended the rest of its season indefinitely. A few hours later, on Thursday afternoon, Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio banned all gatherings of over 100 people and called on religious leaders to exercise discretion whether they would meet or not. He called on the churches in the state of Ohio to operate out of the basis of neighbor love. And just one day later, Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania followed suit. As we respond here as the Church of Jesus Christ in the midst of this COVID-19 global crisis, we have chosen to suspend our worship gatherings for the course of at least three weeks and to gather online digitally here in this format. I want to be clear to you all as you tune in this morning that this decision has not been made on the basis of fear. Rather, this decision has been made in an effort to love our neighbors well in light of Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, in order to exercise discretion and wisdom in planning for the future based on Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 to 28, and to submit ourselves to the governing authorities on the strength of Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. While we do appreciate the limits of governing officials in our Constitution, and as a Baptist church, we uphold the independence of every local church free from the interference of denominations or governing authorities. We do understand the responsibility that we have to be a testimony to those around us of the good news of Jesus Christ, not merely by being citizens, but by being exemplary citizens. And so on the basis of all of these things, we've chosen to uh, forego our public gatherings for a time. I want to commend to you uh, our leadership team, specifically Scott Frederick, our executive pastor, Lloyd Lamb, our church administrator, and Neil Smith, our chairman of the elder board, for their swift decision-making and fast action in terms of getting all that needed to be accomplished, accomplished to make things happen. I want to say a word to you by way of encouragement to let you know that although our gatherings are ceasing for a time, the church is not. Uh, there is nothing that can stop the church of Jesus Christ, and the coronavirus is no different. Ministry is still going to take place. All of the staff is ready and willing to respond to any needs and concerns that you might have. All of our email addresses are available on the website. We'd encourage you to email us, uh, whether it's myself or one of the other pastors, Vicki or Christy, um, with any questions or concerns that you might have. If you have prayer requests or need help with something, please don't hesitate to reach out. The elders, as always, will commit themselves to the Word of God in prayer, a la Acts chapter 6, and we will, uh, we're confident, become a stronger and healthier church uh, as we respond and persevere in this trial by God's grace and uh, trusting in His promises. I want to encourage you that as you participate in the worship in the coming weeks, that you truly do participate. Uh, I understand just how tempting it will be in the coming weeks to become an even more passive spectator than usual. Uh, I want to encourage you that on Sunday mornings that you and your family wake up for corporate worship together, that you get prepared for corporate worship. Uh, I'd like to call on you to pray along with the prayers 
to open your Bible and follow along with the sermons. I would encourage you, leaders of households, to uh, engage in the New City Catechism with your family, the pattern that we've established at the beginning of the year. You may find the New City Catechism at www.newcitycatechism.com, or also you may uh, download the New City Catechism app on your smartphone and follow along in that way. Uh, We want you to know that this is a temporary measure. We do not intend to meet like this forever. It's not ideal. We would much rather be together as a family, and we trust that we will be together with much rejoicing and worship in the near future. So having said all of that, we'll begin now with our morning worship as we begin with the public reading of Scripture, which comes this morning from Romans chapter 13 and verse 9. For the commandments, Paul writes, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our catechism question this morning is, what does God require in the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandment? The answer, sixth, that we do not hurt or hate, or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Seventh, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, and whatever might lead to them. Eighth, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good from someone we might benefit. I'm going to ask the question and call upon you in your homes to answer out loud together. The catechism question for this morning is, what does God require in the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandment? We answer together, church family, sixth, that we do not hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Seventh, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, and whatever might lead to them. Eighth, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good from someone we might benefit. Amen. Well, as we turn to prayer together this morning, let me encourage you uh, that now more than ever, uh, we, we are calling upon you, church family, to continue to give to the work of ministry here at First Baptist Church. It is a unique time. We are going to be creative in the way that we minister, but we're calling upon each and every member to play their part to worship the Lord by giving of their financial gifts. You can do that either online or via U.S. mail. And as we go to prayer, let's remember to pray for our community, for the greater global community, those who are afflicted with the coronavirus and those who have been impacted by it, uh, praying for a swift end to this crisis and for God to be glorified as he turns the eyes of the world to him through it. So having said all of those things, let's bow and pray together. Let us all pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning rejoicing in your goodness, praising you for your sovereignty and your control over all things, that you are the one who ordains and wills whatever might come to pass. 
And in the midst of this global crisis, our hearts are turned to you as our helper, as our refuge, as our strong tower. We remember the words of your son Jesus, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to lift our eyes to Jesus, to trust in his promises and to find comfort in the same. We pray for those who are afflicted throughout the world this morning, those who are suffering with this terrible virus and other afflictions besides. We pray that you would be their comfort and their strength, that you would be the one who fills them with joy and hope and peace as they look to your son Jesus and trust in him. We thank you that we can have confidence that if you have dealt with our sin by the cross, that these light and momentary afflictions are as nothing to you. We look with great anticipation forward to that day when the new city, the heavenly Jerusalem, will come down out of heaven prepared as a bride for her groom and that you will wipe away every tear and that you will erase every tragedy because you will take your people to be with you forever. Lord, we pray that as we gather here, scattered as we are in our homes, that you would be uniting us further together, deeper together in the cause of the gospel. Lord, we pray that we would be a light here in Newcastle and in Lawrence County of the truth and the hope that is found in Jesus. And we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, those of you who worship with us regularly will know that we are in the midst of a series in the gospel according to Matthew that we have entitled The King and His Kingdom. This morning we're going to take a brief pause from that series to look together at Psalm 46. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles now to Psalm 46 and to follow along with me as I read. I'll give you a moment to turn there together, Psalm 46, and we will read the entire psalm. As you turn there, you'll read these words together with me, and please do follow along in your Bibles as you read. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask his blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we pray with our Bibles open that you would open our hearts to you, 
that you would encourage us by your grace and your mercy, and that you would draw us to your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And with singing those words here in this very auditorium on my first visit to First Baptist Church that in many ways caused me to fall in love with this church. Those words were written by the great reformer Martin Luther to demonstrate his invincible trust in the God who helps his people. When I sent out the letter announcing that we would be postponing our gatherings together as a church, I quoted from Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. Little did I know at that time that Psalm 46 was the inspiration for Martin Luther to write his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. As I studied and uh, was enlightened to the circumstances that surrounded Luther's love of Psalm 46, I was fascinated to learn that in 1527, as the Black Plague swept over Germany, Luther, in the midst of suffering as his son was suffering badly with the plague and Luther himself was um, under mounting pressure, found solace and comfort in this great psalm. God is our present help in trouble, even when the earth gives way, even when the coronavirus spreads. What I want to do this morning is to just walk us through, as a family, Psalm 46, highlighting the fact that the psalmist is eager to help us see that because God is our ever-present help in times of trouble, we shall not fear, but rather we shall rejoice and worship. That's the big idea of Psalm 46. Because God is our help in trouble, we shall not fear. Rather, we shall rejoice and worship. It seems to me that the church in this particular cultural moment has an opportunity to witness to the watching world as we reject fear and embrace joy and worship. If you'll look at the psalm, you'll notice that the psalmist is certainly in some sort of distress. We have discussions of cataclysmic events in verses 1 to 3. We have the city of God itself attacked, uh, the nations raging against it in verse 6. We have the weapons of war present in verses 8 and 9. Certainly, things are not okay, and yet the psalmist has hope. There are three arenas, three areas in which God is shown to be present with his people in this psalm. In verses 1 to 3, God is present in the earth. In verses 4 through 7, he is present in the city. And then finally, in verses 8 through 11, he is present in the end. That will serve as our outline this morning. The earth, the city, and the end. God is in the midst of all three of them. Let's look first at the earth beginning again in verse 1. Read these words with me as we read out this stanza together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, 
though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. This is a moment in which culture reasonably is fearful. And yet the call for the Christian man or woman this morning, and indeed in this cultural moment, is to shun fear. God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. I want to speak to you for a moment about what Christian fearlessness is. It seems to me that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means to be fearless in the face of trial and tragedy as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you must come to grips with what it means to be fearless. Perhaps you're tuning in to this live stream for the first time ever, seeking answers to what's happening in the world around us. You also need to know what it means to be fearless in the face of tragedy. When the psalmist here writes of no fear, of fearlessness in the face of these cataclysmic events, I want to tell you what he certainly does not mean. Firstly, the psalmist does not mean that Christian fearlessness is bravado, the sort of attitude that, that exudes self-sufficiency in the face of difficulty. I can remember when I was younger, there was a clothing line called No Fear. It sold cringeworthy t-shirts that donned statements like, second place is the first loser, and it must be hard living without a spine. The trouble is that the only people who ever bought them were junior high boys like myself, children who were absolutely just crippled with fear. You remember what happened to the Apostle Peter when he exemplified this sort of bravado in the face of the coming betrayal of Jesus. Even if they all fall away, he said, I will not fall away. Some mere hours later, Peter found himself denying the Lord three times. Certainly, Christian fearlessness is not bravado. No, the confidence that the psalmist has and that the Christian man or woman has in light of Psalm 46 is not a self-sufficiency but a God-sufficiency. God, he says, is our refuge and strength. Our fearlessness is a fearlessness that is grounded in the promises and the character of the God of the Bible. Secondly, this Christian fearlessness is not denial, the sort of careless dismissal that anything is actually going wrong. This sort of Christian fearlessness is not the sticking of one's head in the sand, ignoring the circumstances that surrounds us. I think one of the ways in which we demonstrate this sort of dismissal is by cavalierly and in a way that's empty of any meaning, saying to one another, you know, it's going to be okay, or there's nothing to fear. Well, that certainly can't be true. It wasn't true for the psalmist. Look at what the psalmist writes. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's certainly not okay. But the glory and the majesty of Christian fearlessness in the face of trial is that even when it's not okay, we will not fear. Even when things are going badly, we will not fear. You know, fear in the face of our current cultural moment is, I believe, natural. 
And one of the things that's happening now as people are committing themselves to social distancing is, no surprise, people are uh, increasing their intake of media. One of the movies that has benefited greatly from the latest social distancing craze is 2011's film Contagion, which many, many sort of believe predicted the COVID-19 crisis. It tells the story of the spreading of a, a virus. It stars A-list celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow and Matt Damon. Do you know what those types of movies are called? They're called thrillers. Why? Because the stories they depict are intended to thrill or at least somewhat scare you. And here we have all of the ingredients of a Hollywood film. This is the stuff of doomsday events, apocalyptic storytelling. Mountains moved into the sea, waters roaring and foaming, mountains trembling at its swelling. And yet, we will not fear. David Jackman helpfully points out that in light of the psalmist's words, our what-ifs become even-ifs. Because God is our refuge and strength, even if, even if coronavirus takes over the globe, even if it spreads through our community, even if, we will not fear. It is natural to fear in the face of trial, but then again, loved ones, the Christian man or woman, the one who has trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, who has repented and turned to the Lord for forgiveness and eternal life, that man or woman is anything but natural. No, we have become supernatural beings as God has indwelled us by the Holy Spirit and giving us a supernatural hope in the face of affliction. The only way, loved ones, that you will ever know this kind of Christian fearlessness is if you have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, if He is your hope, if He is your refuge and strength, if He is your God, even as He is the God of Jacob. This is God on the earth. Even when the world is falling apart, we will not fear. But secondly, notice in verses 4 to 7, God in the city. God in the city, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Recently, Henry has enjoyed watching me play a version of Jeopardy, a digital version of Jeopardy, in which one of the categories is Bible trivia. That's the only category that I can really make any money in, as you will not be surprised. Bible trivia is my category. Now, here is a Bible trivia question for you. What river flows into the city of Jerusalem, the city of God? The answer is that there isn't one. And yet here the psalmist tells us that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Certainly a figure of speech of the living water of hope and peace and joy that is found in Christ. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We will not fear 
but rather we will be glad. We will feast upon, we will drink of the streams of living water that are found in Christ, and we will be glad. Don't you know that if you would drink of this living water, the people around you would certainly say, I'll have what she's having in the midst of a culture that is spinning out of control? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. It's quite the contrast to the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. While the mountains fall, here the psalmist says, the city of Jerusalem stands secure. She shall not be moved. Why? Well, again, I say to you, the reason that the city of Jerusalem is not moved is because God is in her midst. God will help her, verse 5, when morning dawns. Here is God in the midst of his city. God has always planned to dwell with his people in his city. There's a sense in which Eden, when Adam and Eve are created and placed there to take care of it and to minister within it, there's a sense in which God is creating a city for him to dwell in with his people. Adam and Eve are cast out, and here in Jerusalem, as God brings his people back under the rule of King David and under the authority of his word, God establishes Jerusalem as his city, and he promises to be in her midst. He is their protector, their guard, and their guide, and yet we don't dwell in a city. We are the church, scattered as we are this morning in a variety of locations, trusting in the promises of Christ. And yet this promise of God's presence is ours. And one of the major things that we promote here at First Baptist is the call of Christ in the Great Commission. All authority, he says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Here are these promises of God's presence and protection of his city is fulfilled in Christ here in the church. God is in our midst. We shall never be moved. And one of the fascinating things that you see throughout church history is the way that God has protected his people in the midst of calamity. There is nothing that has stopped the church and there will be nothing that will ever stop the church. It could be the Black Plague in the 16th century or disease in the United States in the 20th and the 21st centuries. Nothing is able ultimately to stop God's people because God is her help. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. In this time, we trust ourselves to God's Word. Understanding, as Luther wrote in that great hymn, one little word shall fell him. He utters his voice and the earth melts. There is a day coming when God will return his people to his city to dwell with him forever in perfect peace. And that moment will be ushered in with a word. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that just as God created 
the world through his word. He will one day end the world through his word. I want to read to you from the book of Revelation an extended passage to help you see how all of these themes from Psalm 46 are ushered in to the great event of Christ's coming. The Apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God has uttered his voice, the earth has melted. Here is a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then, chapter 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, I tell people all the time that as a city boy, I really don't uh, resonate sort of with country life uh, here in Lawrence County as, as some of you do. I was talking to a friend at the gym a while back about deer jerky and how I had just had it for the first time. And she sort of scoffed at my naivete as, as a city slicker. But don't you know here in Revelation that God promises us that in the end, praise him, we're all city boys. Because his city comes down from heaven. His people are gathered to him. The river of, the, uh, of, of, the, of living waters is brought into the city. We dwell with him without sickness, sadness, or death. And we will never be moved. Loved ones, here's an opportunity for us in the midst of present crisis to fix our eyes on future hope. That day when Jesus himself is in our midst, when we dwell with him in the new Jerusalem, and nothing will threaten to shake us. God in his city. And then thirdly and finally in verses 8 to 11, we have God in the end. God in the end. Come, the psalmist writes, behold the works of the Lord. Here is the the eagerness, the delight of a small child when he calls his parents to come and see something that he finds magnificent. Here the psalmist says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Pause. I want you to notice here that it is God who is spoken of in verse 8 as the one who has brought desolations on the earth. God has done this. It is not as though at this moment or in any other moment that God has sort of taken a sabbatical. The present global crisis isn't the evidence of a God who is disconnected or unconcerned with his creation. It's not as though God has sort of stepped away from the computer for a time and someone else has taken over. God is not in any way out of control. Even in the midst of hardship, the psalmist tells us that God has brought 
desolations on the earth. That He is in control. That He is working out His purpose and plan and ultimately running history to this great end where He is glorified in all the earth. He, verse 9, makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God does this. Our great hope for peace and for uh, an end to the trials that we face in this world comes from nowhere else and from no one else than God Himself. Here as the weapons of war of the Old Testament are shattered, we have the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 14. God shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. God is the one who has done this. And He will do this, verse 10, to the great end that He might be known in all of the earth. Be still, He cries, and know that I am God. And loved ones, if we're not careful, we'll miss the meaning in context of this great declaration from the Lord. I was speaking to a friend uh, just very recently of uh, a song in which she quoted to me, Don't Let Me Down, Bruce. My response was, my name's not Bruce. And of course, you'll know that that is from uh, a song written by ELO if you're of a certain age, which evidently I'm, I'm not. Uh, but if you're of a certain age, you'll know that ELO song. And I had heard it a million times. I knew the refrain, don't let me down. I just never heard the word Bruce. I didn't understand the song in context. And there's a danger here in Psalm 46 of knowing this passage but not understanding it in context. Very often we think of this passage, be still and know that I am God, in the context of stillness. But the context here, of course, is of chaos. Waters roaring and foaming, mountains trembling, moved into the heart of the sea, the earth giving way, the people of God surrounded by nations that rage and kingdoms that totter. And in the midst of all of that, God cries out, be still. The same powerful voice that is demonstrated in our Lord Jesus Christ when he looks at the raging sea and says, peace, be still. Here, God speaks. Be still and know that I am God. What the psalmist here is communicating is that there is a day coming, loved ones, when God will blow the whistle, when God will call the game, when all things will finally be ended. There is a sense in which governors can call for the cessation of gatherings, but only God can call for the cessation of chaos. Be still and know that I am God. He cries out to the warring nations, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is our God. The one who brings desolations and ends them by his mighty word. The God who is our ever-present help in times of trial. The God who fills our hearts with joy as we drink of His living water is the God 
will ultimately and finally be exalted among the nations. And you and I, in this very moment, as we look to the Lord Jesus, as we trust in Him for the forgiveness of our sins, have the privilege and the joy of beholding the works of the Lord. How has your worship been this week? How has your worship been this week? Loved ones, in the face of trial and fear, we will worship. It was Job who, after enduring great suffering, even as the Lord allowed Satan to afflict him, could say, shall we receive good from the Lord and not evil? God is in control. Whether it's the weapons of war or the threat of coronavirus, God is in control. He calls on us here and now as a glimpse of that great day to cease the chaos within our own hearts and to focus on Him. We will worship. Friends, this is a unique moment. A moment where we are challenged in light of this psalm to cast off fear and to fill ourselves with joy and worship. And if we are going to be the people of God in this place and in this generation, seeking to make disciples who make disciples, loved ones, we must. We must heed the words of this psalm. The only way that we may rightly love our neighbors as ourselves is if we can point them to this God in the face of this tragedy. The only way that we will be committed to praying for those who are afflicted and serving those in our community who most need our help is if we take to, to heart the great hope that we have in Christ of a city never shaken, never moved, which comes down from heaven itself. I want to encourage you to meditate on the words of Psalm 46 and to understand the God who is present in all of the earth, in his city, and in the end. And to commit yourself to loving your neighbor well. I want to encourage you, those of you who live near those who are vulnerable, to reach out to them and to pray for them, perhaps even to offer to buy groceries for them or take them to the doctor. I want to encourage you to live as God's fearless people in the face of this tragedy. But you'll only do that if you know that because God is with us, we will not fear, but we will be glad and we will worship. Let's pause and worship in gladness through prayer as we bring our time together to a close. Oh, Father, you are the only God 
You are the God who created the world through the speaking of your word. And you are the God who will one day melt the earth through your word. And we have the privilege now of taking your word to heart, that word that tells us that because Christ has come and lived and died and rose again, that all who come to him in faith and repentance find forgiveness and eternal life, not only for the future, but in the present. And in the present, Heavenly Father, your Son is our refuge and our strength. We trust in Him and Him alone as the one who is the lifter up of our heads. Lord, we worship You because You alone are able to do this. We worship You because You alone are the joy of our hearts. That even in the midst of great chaos and tragedy, we may sing with confidence, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Lord, would you make that the cry of our hearts? Would you uproot fear and fill us with gladness and hope in the coming city of God with his people? Would you uproot fear and fill us with worship because you are the one who has done great things? Father, as we conclude our time together, we pray that you would keep us all in safety, that you would help us to love our neighbors well as a result of loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Again, we pray for the afflicted, that their hope might be in Christ, and that you would help us as your people in this age to serve you well by serving others. We pray all that we have in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And may the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you now and forevermore. Amen.